It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to another edition of the Cyclone Fanatic Podcast. It's Tuesday morning and we've got more football and random things for you here on CycloneFanatic.com. I told you guys yesterday that we recorded nearly an hour of breakdown of Iowa State's win over Southeast Missouri. If you missed that, you can find it on the podcast feed. And then we also recorded 40 minutes breaking down Iowa State and Iowa with the Athletics Iowa beat reporter Scott Docterman. He joins us on this edition of the podcast, tells us a little bit more about that Iowa offense, where he sees some things that you know obviously need improvement, uh, many things that need improvement for that Iowa offense, uh, how that Iowa defense is going to try and stop Iowa State going into this weekend, and much more. I thought that this was a, a really good conversation. I think you guys are really going to enjoy it here as we prepare more for Saturday's big game at Kinnick Stadium. I do need to remind you guys that Football and Random Things is brought to you by our friends at Wiffles Hybrids. Every year, corn growers have a choice to make, and that choice is like a stake in the ground. One that says staying independent, staying family-owned, means something on your farm. So plant your independence, plant Wiffles. Wiffles Hybrids, the presenting sponsors of Football and Random Things here on the Cyclone Fanatic Podcast Network. Let's break down Cyhawk with Jeff Woody and Scott Docterman from The Athletic. Welcome back here on Football and Random Things on the Cyclone Fanatic Podcast Network, and we're joined now from The Athletic, Iowa football beat reporter Scott Docterman. Scott, we appreciate you taking some time out of your Labor Day to to talk with us, and uh, I, I think we've got some interesting things to cover here over the next uh, however many minutes. Thanks for having me on. It's always it's always good for me to get over to Ames and and check you guys out. Sometimes a couple times in the summer, and uh, this year I'm not going to be making that trek, uh, which is unusual. But uh, you know, still I'm I'm happy to be talking with you guys. Yeah, not quite uh, not quite as exciting. I think this summer is what it was for you last summer to come over and talk to some of those guys. But still, lots of good stuff uh, coming out of uh, for you guys on the athletic. Everything you've been doing covering Iowa. I liked what you wrote uh, on Saturday after i was seven to three win over over south dakota i mean i guess the first thing we have to ask you about is is spencer peterson in the, in the offense now two days removed from it 
how i mean what's your feeling about what you watched take place at, at kinnick stadium where do you feel like there's maybe room for improvement or are there things that you look at and it's just man i don't see how this can get any better in the course of 12 games or whatever it is I think it was the worst performance I've ever seen in person when it comes to offense. And after rewatching the game, uh, you know, which was, I needed a mercy killing at that point, but <laughs> you know, after watching it, trying to dissect it, what went wrong here, not necessarily, certainly there was no enjoyment with that one. Um, and looking through everything, I, there were so many issues on that offense that, I don't know how they get them all corrected by the end of the month, let alone in, in one week's time. I think if I was disappointed in something, it was probably the running game. Uh, the fact that they couldn't run the ball with any kind of success at all against an FCS team. Now, South Dakota State's a very good program, and, and I'll give them their kudos, but it's still an FCS program. And you need to establish yourself and establish the line of scrimmage. And the way Iowa didn't, did not run the ball was to me maybe as disappointing as any kind of aspect of the game. But when you look at Spencer Petrus, I, you know, out of the 25 passes, I classified eight as terrible, horrible, the worst. I mean, you know, whether it's throwing an out pass that barely gets to the back thigh of the of the uh, receiver to throwing in traffic to having a guy wrapped around his leg and he still throws it across the middle of the field in a triple coverage for an interception. Those are those are plays you make against Aiden Hutchison if you're a freshman or sophomore, not again, not as a senior in your third years as a starting quarterback. So, and the fact that only one scholarship receiver took any kind of significant stat snaps is just uh, an alarm fire going off. And I mean, it, it's just, there's so much there on that side of the ball to be concerned about with Iowa. I don't know how they get better. Maybe they should get a little bit better in a few areas, but to even get up to mediocre, I just don't see that this year. Which is amazing to me. And and I don't mean this. And I think most of a, most of the listeners understand that we're like, we're obviously we're on Cyclone Fanatics. So there's a slant, but I feel like we're relatively unbiased uh, for the most part. I mean, if in our analysis, at the in our analysis, it's yeah. relatively unbiased. And so like looking at Iowa, the thing that you look at and you go, okay, bias completely aside. They're trying to, the goal for the offense is to play complimentary football, just like Iowa State likes to do, just like yeah. other, most, you know, Nick Saban, you know, Kirby Smart, they're all trying to play complimentary football. They're not just trying to say, let's just zip as many points down the field as we possibly can. And so what that offense is meant to do is it's meant to be a ball control offense that is going to more or less win field position. And then at a certain point, once you break, they're going to just run up and down the field. And their their goal, if they can score 28 but every drive that you have starts on the three because they have the best punter in America, mm -hmm. then all right, then we're good with it because there's no, eventually you're going to shank one or get an interception or a fumble and we're going to get a short field. But in order for that to happen, you have to have a, a competent offense. And I think the thing is that's, that is shocking to me is that for the five years, this is the sixth year that Brian Ferentz has been the coordinator they've been progressively and substantially worse. So I, I was looking at this. So I do a show for channel five, um, the, the Cyhawk game day. So looking and kind of assessing both teams in the five years that Brian Ferentz has been the coordinator, the offensive efficiency ranking that they've had in his first year, they're 44th, second year, they're 41st getting better. Third year, they're like 53rd, the fourth year, they're 64th or something like that. The last year they were 90th this year. I think 
I mean, I don't know what it would be, but if they continue this, they're going to be dead last. There's no way that any offense can be worse than that, which is a really long-winded setup of saying, I think that the fans feel that this would be true, but is Brian Ferentz in any hot seat consideration, despite the fact that he's the coach's son, because you cannot look at that offense, I mean, Saturday included, and say, there's progress here. We're, we, there's something to work with. It's you started and your recruiting rankings have been good. Your talent is, it's not that you're, de, you're not devoid of talent. You put several guys in the NFL, but they're consistently getting worse and worse and worse. Does Brian Ferentz, ha, is there legitimate hot seat consideration? And, and then a follow-up question to that is because he is the coach's son, is it Gary Barta that would be in, in responsible for contract renegotiation or firing or termination or whatever with him to avoid nepotism? Like how does that work? And how does he still have a job? I'm glad we jumped right into the hot topic, here, Jeff. You didn't even uh, hold back. Second question is Brian Ferentz on the hot seat. Go, go ahead, Scott. I would say no, not on the hot seat like any other coordinator in the country would be. Uh, because after last year being in the 120s in most categories, uh, most coaches would make a change. Most coaches would demand something different instead Kirk Ferentz doubled down on Brian moving him to quarterbacks coach um you know they brought in a, a guy John Budmeyer who is uh their analyst uh, you know works with the quarterbacks uh apparently not on the field as far as I know uh and even if he did it doesn't really matter um uh, and and really I don't think there is any kind of uh issue there because if he goes I'm pretty sure Kirk Ferentz would go too and Gary Barta is officially Brian's supervisor, but, you know, that's that's just semantics. That's just a way to get things going. And, you know, some of the things that I look at with their offense, because it, whether it's efficiency or total offense, a lot of Iowa fans really like to use total offense. That doesn't really apply some cases to Iowa because of the complementary style, because in some respects, chewing up clock and field position is more important to them than even scoring, which may sound ludicrous, but when you have a defense like theirs, it's, it's kind of uh, important. Um, two years ago during the COVID year, they were second in the big 10 in scoring offense behind Ohio state. So they've had some pluses beyond the efficiency, but I think the front part, he had a, I would say a, a competent quarterback in Nate Stanley, who was very efficient in the red zone. He had 47 red zone touchdown passes, only one interception. Um, they obviously have, have not had that under Spencer Petras. Um, when they had Tristan Wirfs blocking and on the perimeter, they were able to get on the perimeter. Uh, they don't, they've struggled on the outside right now at tackle. And then also wide receiver. I, you know, they had four guys transfer, hit the transfer portal, Charlie Jones, as we all know. Um, that's been a real factor for them. But but I think the stubbornness, and this is what contributes to the offense just really falling off a cliff last year, especially this year, is the stubbornness to not use the transfer portal to supplement your team. And I know Kirk likes to say, well, that's not the way we're built. We don't like to use the transfers and all that kind of stuff. But sometimes you're just going to have to do that. And you can't tell me you can't go out and get a or even a Missouri Valley wide receiver who can come in and run good routes for you and be able to pick up first downs. And then, of course, the quarterback. I saw enough last year. I thought it was time to turn the page last year. And this year to go out and have this kind of performance from day one, um, to me, just suggests that he's just too stubborn for his own good when it comes to offense. With Petrus, do you think 
how much of it is just he's maybe regressed from where he was? Or, I mean, I think we can see with some quarterbacks where as they get a little bit older, they start to think about it a little bit more. They know more than what they did when they were younger and they lose some of that gunslinger mentality. And how much of it, too, can be this, the scheme of it? Because, I, I mean, I'm watching him the other day. And how many passes did he even attempt that were longer than 10 yards? You know, I, I can't hardly think of many. And that's yeah, what well, I think, to me, jumps out. When you look at it, he goes 10 to 25 or whatever passing. I mean, he didn't even complete 50% of his passes, and he's trying to throw the ball five yards most of the time. That, that just doesn't make sense to me. I don't know. That's where I don't understand some of the disconnect, I guess, in what's happening. Yeah, you're right. And I think that's the problem is that I think the one issue that he has tried as best as he can, and I'll give him credit for doing this, going to a quarterback whisperer, the same guy who works with like Kenny Pickett, Joe Flacco out in New Jersey. His name's Tony Rassiope. He's been out there several times during his spring break after his graduation to work on fundamentals because his accuracy has always been the one issue that he's never been able to have. And that was the biggest problem again on Saturday was just whether it's holding the ball just a little too long, it's aiming instead of throwing all those things that quarterbacks know not to do. He does. He's got a big arm and can really launch it down the field. And they were significantly limited because of only Arlen Bruce being the only scholarship guy in there. They couldn't really get down the field. And I understand that, but the making the makeables was something he just could not do. Uh, there was one play. It was, it was a screen pass to the left side. There was plenty of room, probably would have gone for a touchdown to LaShawn Williams. And he, you know, he, he pump fakes, he looks to his right, the rush came in and he took too long and then overthrew a wide open. And, and on that, and on that play, he had really lazy feet. Like yeah. as, as a quarterback, you gotta, as you gotta push yourself as far back as you possibly can and keep getting depth and keep getting depth and keep drawing. I mean, he kind of just stopped. So it was, yeah. I mean, you, you, when I watch Spencer Petrus, it's, 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 it's the fact that like, I don't know if basketball players or golfers are the better metaphor to go with this one, but it's not necessarily the yips, but it's that you have uh, the confidence that you have is super important in being able to execute the task because of how fine you have to execute it at quarterback. It's not like, like an offensive lineman. Yes. Your steps have to be exact, but like if you're Tristan Wirfs and you take a slightly off step, you can still just mush somebody out of the way versus if you're a quarterback and your hands a little off or your, you know, your foots, your steps a little off or whatever. And so how fine that is, you have to be super committed to the shot. So I know Jared, you as a basketball guy, like you ever go through a shooting slump and the rim looks like it's the size of a thimble, you know, and because of that, you start aiming everything. And then all of a sudden the defenders look closer to you. And then the crowd seems louder. And then the, the, the passing lanes look smaller. And it feels like with Petrus, he was starting the season on shaky ground, like confidence wise. And then it, it didn't go well, super well right away. And then also the fact I, I, I think it's, is it Logan Jacobs or whatever the, the center's name when you're replacing Logan Jones and you're replacing Tyler Linderbaum. Most of the pressure that Spencer Petrus saw came right up the gut. And I don't know what his grade was. Obviously we don't have the butt shot and we don't have the capacity to like watch one position every all the way across the board. But I would say the offensive line this year is a substantial step back, especially at the center position. Now, granted, that's an easy thing to say when you're losing the best center in college football, but I think Spencer Petrus, he's not great, but I think his it's a lack of confidence, which is the problem. And the things that you need to build confidence are 
rhythm and easy throws. Well, he can't get in, can't get in rhythm because he's getting hit in the teeth by South Dakota state right away up the gut. So what kind of conversation, whether it's a post-game press conference or in kind of media availability since if there has been any, have they said about the performance of the offensive line, specifically the interior offensive line? Cause that looked like it was a big step back from it was last year. Yeah, there wasn't a whole lot of discussion specifically uh, on Saturday, and our next opportunity will be tomorrow where a lot of this will be brought up. It's Kirk is really vague usually when he starts bringing up critiques, uh, and whereas his position coaches, when they are allowed to talk, are a lot more specific. And I think in, in this case, Logan, in re-watching it, did struggle, no question. Um, he has some physical gifts and abilities that will allow him to succeed in time, but at this point, he's he's a step back. But then also, the the two guards were in a similar situation where they were making their first, um, you know, start of the of their careers at that position. You know, Nick Young and worked at tackle, and um, you know, uh, you know, Col uh, Connor Colby, who's a true sophomore, moved out to to end, and, and it, so it was just real. Or I mean, I'm sorry to tackle, he went from guard to tackle, and, and so there was there was a lot, not a real cohesive unit blocking either way when it came to blocking for the uh, in the pass game with the pressure up the middle, but then there wasn't enough adjustments made. There weren't, you know, you had a fullback on the field, I think 39 plays, and yet sometimes maybe have him step up and, and take that on a little bit more. And then by the time Spencer did have a few, uh, few seconds to throw the ball, he was, uh, you know, was aiming, he was off. And, you know, in the fourth quarter, he's one of four, just stuff that I, I could go through every list, but I wouldn't want to bore you as far as each and every play. Cause it was just, it, you know, it was, it was disgusting. And if he didn't have the defensive punter with him, it, it would have been, 21 to nothing. I mean, this type of game, but that defense is, is out of this world. Yeah. It's a shame that because if the D if the offense was just okay, then the story of that game, I mean, let's say they score 10 points, the offense scores 10 points, or when they get inside the, the 20 yard line, three times, if they get 13 points out of that, the story would be, holy shit this defense is unreal. Like that would be what everybody's talking about because that's, I mean, they deserve that. It's amazing when you watch this Iowa offense, how different in quality or the Iowa team is how different in quality the sides of the ball are. When again, you want to play complimentary football where that means compliment, you have to add to the other side. How, I don't know if it necessarily, you get a vibe from that. And I would, I would imagine because it's a football team, there's not going to be any, like there's no finger pointing, but like, do you sense any exasperation from that defense being like, come on? Like, is there any of that? Is there any sensation from the defense being like, just do something before they have to go back out there? I I know that it's there. Obviously, as you know, as a, as a former player, you're not going to get that, uh, you know, in the post game. And, and Jack Campbell, to his credit, really tried to, to, head that off and, and try, you know, in fact, he started it and saying, I know what you guys are going to want me to say, but they're, you know, and he went on kind of a rant about, you know, they, they're working their ass off. They're doing this as much as they can to stay with us. And they're my friends. They're our teammates. We're going to support them and have their back and stuff like that. But, but you can sense, and, and in talking to some people, sometimes a little more off the record that they're, yeah, they are 
down about that because when you have this kind of defense playing the way it is and playing the way it did last year too, but this year will be better um, that all it needs, you know, really is 20 points and it probably wins nine games, you know, and if it can get up to the high twenties, it's probably in Indianapolis. And, and if they had a really good team, you know, it might threaten somebody even like Ohio state, but they're so far down that there's going to, they're going to lose a lot of very close games that the defense has kept them in there. And, and, um, and so I don't know that there's any dissension right now. I think there's some issues on the offensive side of the ball because some of the receivers haven't practiced a lot and it's pissed off some players. And even in their interviews, they kind of bring that up from time to time. It's like, well, yeah, we, you know, there's some guys that haven't practiced. I don't know what their problem is, but you know, just things like that. So I think there needs to be some leadership on that side of the ball. Um, somebody, you know, cracking heads, whether it's, Hey, we got to do this, but they don't have any leaders other than Sam Laporta. There's nobody on that offense that you could look to and says, yeah, they set the standard, you know, Tyler Linderbaum did of course. And, and in years past they had other players, but you know, Spencer Peters can't do it because his performance is as bad as everybody else. So I think they uh, they need some drastic leadership on that side of the ball just to elevate their performance a little bit and in turn not make it look like the defense is out here trying to save the day. Because when they play like Wisconsin, probably Minnesota, Illinois, even Michigan, those teams are ground acquisition teams. They're going to keep them on the field. And if they're constantly three and out, the dam's going to break at some point and it's going to look worse than it is, but the defense is going to put, keep them in the game for a half and then just fall apart in the second half. Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them with Royal Caribbean. You don't just go to the beach. You visit a private Island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. This episode is supported by FX's Clipped, the scandalous story of the 2014 Clippers owner's racist remarks captured on tape and heard around the world. The series charts the tape's impact on a dysfunctional basketball organization striving to win against their reputation as the most cursed team in the league. Starring Lawrence Fishburne, Jackie Weaver, Cleopatra Coleman, and Ed O'Neill. FX's Clipped, streaming June 4th, only on Hulu. Uh, you are in for some really ugly football games to watch this year, my friend. I'm I'm just going to tell you that, be honest with you, that some of those games are going to be disgusting. But uh, <laughs> what is the outlook for that that offense going into this week from an injury standpoint? I know uh, Keegan Johnson didn't play. I know one of the running backs was out. What I mean, does that receiver room look any different going into this week than what it did last week? 
Not much. Um, they're they're hoping, crossing their fingers, that Keegan Johnson's available. He needs to be available. He's what? There was it an ankle or a hamstring or something like that? It's a hamstring with him now. Uh, he got it was some sort of abdominal injury that kept him out of the bowl game, the Citrus Bowl, and it's been an off season that it's really hurt him. I wonder if it was a sports hernia. He really won't go into too much detail about it, but. They need him on the field. If they can get him on the field, that stretches the defense. He's, um, you know, a real true weapon. And him and Arlen Bruce on there, um, most plays, they'll be okay. I mean, they, they didn't even run any three receiver sets the other day. They just couldn't. And, uh, you know, as far as uh, Gavin Williams did not play, uh, he was their normal starter or the guy that they planned to start. Uh, he, he'd been digged up a little bit in camp. I don't know specifically how much how long it's going to take him i think it might be an ankle but uh other than that they didn't seem to lose anybody laporta came out for a little bit but he went back right back in so i think health wise uh they should be okay on that side of the ball um defensively one guy that's uh that got hurt and i really wonder about is justin jacobs uh who's a uh, really good outside linebacker he's good enough that where he he could cover slots to an extent tight ends for the most part and uh, play like a safety, even though he's a, you know, a big linebacker, he's an NFL guy. And uh, he went out and didn't come back in in the second quarter. And they think it might be a soft tissue issue, which if that's the case, he's probably out for this game. So that would mean Iowa would go largely four two five as opposed to kind of flipping, which it had been doing between the four, three and, and, and the, the, the cash uh, role. I mean, that yeah. would, that would seem significant, I guess, yeah. if you don't, if you're not able to have him, yeah. especially against this, uh, like this, this Iowa state offense, you know, it's funny because there is a, an advertised new look offense on the East Eastern side of the state, which looked exactly like the last year's offense. And then there was no advertising that there was going to be a new offense. We all just kind of like expected it, it because the players that left and the players that are coming in and you got a completely new offense over here. And it's funny because the way that, Iowa state plays offense. It is more similar to that of Purdue, which has been a bugaboo against Iowa. And I don't know what you've watched more of the Iowa Purdue games than we have. What is it about that game? Because again, it seems like to me, the things that beat this defense, if there is a thing that beats this defense is like one of two things is one they don't do a lot that's exotic or crazy. They just do the, they do cover two, they do cover four and two man under just better than you think that's going to be there. And so their goal is, all right, I expect there to be a, you know, the whole shot behind the corner in front of the safety against cover two. I expect that to be there, but on first blush, because they're so good, it doesn't look like it's there. I got to hold it for a beat longer. All of a sudden, one of my really good defensive linemen is either hitting you or br running you off the spot. Now you got to scramble and it's just a drill that's going to be completely destroyed. So it's just, they do kind of the regular things way better than everyone else. So what Purdue does is they essentially stay on rhythm. Like they don't let Iowa knock them out of rhythm and they go, all right, there's going to be a cover two hole shot. We're going to throw the cover two hole shot. There's going to be cover four. We're playing cover four. That's at least from the outside in. What do you see in those Purdue games, which th that kind of lends Purdue to succeeding when they kind of shouldn't by talent. Like what about that game is always bothersome because it feels like Iowa state is sort of in that mold. Again, not saying it's going to be that type of success. 
it's a little different than any team that Iowa faces. Number one, they don't care about running the ball. And Iowa's built uh, largely two gap up front. Their, their goal is to stop the run. So other teams, that every other team in the Big Ten, every other team they face, including Iowa State, tries to establish the run. Uh, that's You just throw that out against them, too. The other part is they make Iowa defend every blade of grass, and they have a, usually a very, very accurate quarterback and some dynamic receivers. Uh, David Bell killed them. I mean, 566 yards over three games. It was, you know, and that was – uh, Iowa fans are more frustrated now than even then last year, but last year was probably the most frustrated I'd ever seen him because everybody knew how good David Bell was and they still couldn't stop him. Uh, but And the other part is what Jeff Brom does that no other coach does is he's willing to go downfield all the time. He's willing to say, okay, you're in quarter, quarter, half. This is our matchup. We've got one-on-one -on, -one on the outside. We're going to take this shot. And more often than not, whether you make it or not, Coaches will be like, okay, we're going to come back to that. He'll be like, we're going to do it again. And there was one year where they beat Iowa, and they went like four plays in a row, all go routes, same guy. And then Iowa changed three different corners because they just couldn't keep up with them. And so Brom, he doesn't care if it's second and 10, third and 10. You know, everybody else wants to stay ahead of the chains. He's just attack, attack, attack. And um, and they've always had Aiden O'Connell being – one last year, but other ones, they blow even uh, very accurate. So that always kind of takes Iowa's defense out of its rhythm because it's forcing it not to defend the run and, and do what it does well. Um, you know, what I see with Iowa State that can create some issues, um, even more so than in the past, is I'd really like the way Hunter Decker's his arm strength. And I think, you know, Brock Purdy obviously it was incredibly accurate could do so many good things but his arm strength to get the ball down the field can can help him be kind of what that purdue is uh and you know xavier hutchinson's good enough to obviously get some free plays he's going to be able to make some plays on iowa now how many i don't know a couple but it, the couple's all you need sometimes so if he can get down the field at some point whether that's split the safeties and they're when they're got to cover two look or get on the outside and, and go on a go, he'll be able to make one or two of those. And I, and Hunter Deckers could get the ball there. Plus he's the other part is when they rush, if there's an open lane, he can take advantage of it. Obviously Spencer Peters cannot. Um, if he gets a yard, that's a good run. Um, so I think Hunter Deckers can get seven, eight, you know, third and six, boom, you know, run for eight and just, you know, kill them, you know, with like, uh, you know, with those drops of water. I won't say what it's used to be called, but you know, that kind of thing. So I, I think uh, this is uh, that, that to me is what could create some issues is for Iowa is the willingness to go deep because he has that kind of arm and then the ability to scramble and he's bigger and more physical to where he can pick up first downs with his legs uh, against a, a defense that's, you know, you know, traditionally where they're going to stand. I think from my perspective, the thing that has me, you know, probably a little bit more encouraged than maybe what I've been in, in previous years going into this game is I don't feel like Iowa state. I, I don't know. Like me, I don't know. This could be wrong. It almost feels like there's been a, uh, uh, a, a desire to like prove that they could play the same way as Iowa on some level. And it's like, yeah, we're going to line up across from you and we're going to try and do the same thing you do. And we're going to try and beat you that way. And they've learned that obviously that's not, the way to be able to beat Iowa. I'm hopeful that that game last year will be an indication is one of those things they can learn from and be like, 
yeah, we tried to line up and run with them. We tried to do a lot of these things that other Big Ten teams do. We can't do it like they can. Maybe we should try and spread it out and sling this thing around. Closer to what we saw in the first half of the game against Southeast Missouri State than what we saw in the second when I think they just made a concerted effort to run the football. You know, you guys could talk to this more than me, but my observations about Iowa State is kind of Iowa has gotten in their head a little bit, and that may be game planning to where you want to kind of stand toe-to-toe and be able to do the same things they do and prove yourself or what happened. I don't think anyone would ever admit that, but I do, yeah. (laughs) I Yeah. I think you're right. I think they, yeah, Yeah. it's sort of like – you know, like the stare down a UFC yeah. weigh in yeah. is like mm-hmm. they're they're going to try and be like, hey, we're the same weight class. We totally are the same. And then realizing you can't out Iowa, Iowa. And whether it's the pressure that got to Purdy last year or, or feeling like you need to make a play, you need to make a play. And, and Iowa is like, a you know, like a, the way that they're set up. If you try to attack them just for the sake of attacking them, it's not going to work out. You could play punt ball with them all day and it's 13 to 10, take a flip of you know coin. And I think last year that's where the pressure kind of crept up to them. And it appeared to me, you know, when you had both teams in the top 10 and this was maybe, you know, considering Iowa state was in the top 10, this was your chance to beat right. Iowa. That This was that opportunity. Okay. Make a statement win against a rival at home. And, it, and then, it didn't work out, obviously. I think this year I see such a different vibe because, as you said, you know, last year's team with Iowa State had all those players coming back. So there was kind of a pressure that, hey, you're in the top 10. You've got a, you're an outside playoff contender. You're all back. And and I've seen it before with Iowa in 2010 where that doesn't, that doesn't always dynamic work and you lose a lot of close games. And I think this year the pressure is off. You're going to Iowa city, you're on the road, you're going to a hostile environment. And then, and then you look at Iowa that had so many issues that their fans are not going to be mm-hmm. all in. They're going to be, you know, could be a disadvantage for their team because they love them so much, but a couple three and outs and some bad passes, they are going to be set off. Now that's what I think today. As the week progresses, what Iowa State has to do is remain confident, remain loose, not worry about it. Things are things are going to happen. We've seen the turnover disparity. That that's a huge indication on how things have gone, as we've seen over the years. Um, if that happens, they come relaxed at Kinnick. Even if somebody throws in, you know, if there's an interception, even if Iowa Iowa scores on defense, you're all right. You know, Dan McCarty had that down. I always thought. Don't worry about it. You know, we're down 24 to 7. It doesn't matter. We got them right where we want them. And, and boom. Iowa's going to be the other way around. Iowa's going to have this pressure because all week long, the intensity, they're the national laughing stock uh, because of their offensive play. And so Spencer Petras, if he's in, he's going to try to prove that he he's the right guy, that he's going to make these plays. And the booing's going to happen. And it's it, it so I can see the vibe completely changing. So as long as there's a good game plan, don't turn the ball over, be patient, because I think that's what Brock Purdy wasn't, was patient. I mean, Iowa State's the better team. Iowa may have the best unit on the field in their defense, but their offense just can't measure up to any other aspect of this game. I was going – Go ahead, Jared. Real quick, I was going to ask you, you mentioned that with the – you know, if you come out, you get a couple three and outs or something like that, the – the boo birds start to fall down. I mean, do you think that there is a point where they would consider making a move to Alex Padilla? And if they did, do you think that that would be something that would drastically change the game? I guess, based on what you've seen from him previously. Yeah. I mean, I don't want to turn him into some sort of <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah. savior type thing, but I do think that 
he he does some different things than than Spencer Petras. I mean, his completion percentage was bad last year, but he also he only had two starts and played in really four games. And in, in one of the starts, he had six drop passes. So that really dropped his completion percentage down quite a bit. But um, he he's better with his legs. He's about six foot, six one. So they could roll him out and do some things that I'm like, why don't you do that? You know, it's just some different. I I hope that that's not the case. I hope if for Iowa, it either makes sense to just let's go with uh, Alex Padilla this week or you stick with Spencer the whole way. Because if you pull him and the crowd will go crazy, they will cheer like hell. And that is the worst possible thing you could do for somebody who's been in your program for five years. And, you know, Spencer Petras to me will be an outstanding coach, knows the game at a level that really none of the quarterbacks I've dealt with knows it. But, you know, he's not performing well. And you don't want to destroy his confidence and you don't want to just make him look bad and i and i have a fear that that could be a, the case that like in the second quarter if he's one for five and um they decide all right we got to do something different that uh you know they pull him and the crowd will all cheer and then that'll really and that will feel bad at the same time yeah it's it's interesting too though like you know we've we've talked for a, a fair amount of this segment about like kind of the advantages that Iowa State has but the way that Iowa wins the game i mean so it's pretty obvious the way Iowa State wins the game is they get the they score 22 points you score 20 points you win the game i mean it doesn't feel like Iowa has the capacity i mean maybe when they get Johnson back and Reganey back and they have Arlen Bruce they have Gavin Williams back and they kind of figure out the offensive line a little bit like they might be able to be consistently in that 20 point range that might be the case but at least right now with the health of their roster the way Iowa State wins a game score 22 points you you do that you win the way Iowa wins the game though is <laughs> Tory Taylor is the best freaking player on the field mm-hmm. and it's absurd to say that about a punter but the way that I mean so last year when I when Iowa State played, every drive that Iowa State started with was inside their own 15. I, I mean, not every single drive, but I bet average starting field position. I didn't look back at the statistics, but I bet it was inside the 20. I mean, pretty confident that your average starting field position was inside the 20 versus Iowa starting field position was probably right around the third, their 30 or their 40. And the way that Iowa can win it is if Tory Taylor, when, when Tory Taylor pins you inside the 10, if you feel the pressure of that defense, and go three and out or get a false start or get a holding call or back yourself up to the four. And then you're punting out of your own end zone. Well, we've seen what happens when Iowa state punts out of their own end zone at Kinnick. Now, granted that was a, there was a new punter who had literally Corey Dunn had never punted in America in his entire life. And then his first punts in the world were mm-hmm. pressure situations at Kinnick. But the way they win that game is the offense if, if I get, I bet there's 12 total drives for each team. If you get more than that, I'd be shocked. If I set the ball on the 25 yard line to start every single drive for Iowa and put it at the 25 yard line for every single drive for Iowa state, Iowa state wins that game by three touchdowns. But the fact is that's not going to happen. So if you're Iowa state, one of the things that Jared and I were talking about earlier was <laughs> if you just simply advance the ball, if you don't just, just don't get a three and out, because Iowa's defense kind of thrives on the fact of Tory Taylor's going to back you up and we're going to go ears back and down your throat the entire time. So you don't have the confidence to take those deep shots because you're standing in your end zone for two seconds before you have to do it. So I think that's, it's an interesting thing. Yeah. We've talked about what Iowa state's advantage is, but Iowa's advantage is still existing because of Tory Taylor 
pairing him with that defense. When they say, hey, Van Ness, Campbell, you guys, they're on the four. Go to town. Like, that's got to be really exciting. I mean, as someone who's watching it and enjoying the game, I mean, it was as ugly as it is to watch the offense, it's got to be really fun when Torrey Taylor pins him on the two and you get to see that hype defense run onto the field and go, all right, we're going to get, I mean, let's go, let's get them now. I mean, that's got to be exciting for the fans, at least to take some solace that that defense is going to be able to do that. No question. I mean, South Dakota State had eight false starts the other day. I mean, it is deafening the way they built the north end zone, which instead of kind of being at a like a what a 45 degree angle is more like at a, I don't know, a 80 degree angle. It keeps the noise in. And for opponents, Penn State last year being number one when Sean Clifford went out um, and at the end of the game, they're taking knees to punt to pin them in, even with a three-point lead, because they knew that that's where they were going to win the game was on defense and, and special teams rather than even handing the ball off, uh, So, which is just insanity, but it's the way, the way they won. And I think that's the case here, too. As you said, uh, you look at Penn last year, the single most pivotal play was, you know, Brees Hall fumbling when Justin Jacobs punched the ball out and Jack Campbell runs it in. Why? Well, they were so far back that, uh, that you know, that kind of, helped make that situation take place. And I think in this case, if, if it's going to be loud and it's going to be 120 decibels and in the end zone and um, you know, it's, uh, you know, first and 10 at the four and, and first plays a run and it's for no gain or one yard. And eventually you're going to have to pass or something. That's where Iowa has you. If, if you're uh, in, that's their advantage, as you said, and even if you play punt ball, field position at some point somebody's going to make a mistake i think if you do and then this is the iowa style is a lot of times it's not about scoring points it's about moving from your 25 to the 45 or 50 punting and then letting your defense take over if iowa state does the same thing and iowa's working out of its 20 yeah forget it it's it's going to be a long day for iowa and, and at some point in the fourth quarter the dam's going to break and and it'll be a you know a multi-score game it's just uh you know i I don't know if Iowa can can do much there. I just don't. But I think the defense is good enough. And if it can, it's going to rely on defensive touchdowns. I think that's probably the one thing that it's it's insane. But you've, you've got to, if you're Iowa, you've got to hope you score on defense because that's really the only chance you have, in my opinion. All right, Jeff, you got anything else you want to throw out there before we let Scott go? No, I don't. I mean, I appreciate coming on. I think this is our first Hawkeye guest that we've ever had. This is like season six. Yeah, five. yeah we appreciate it scott appreciate it. yeah well i uh thanks for having me on and as i said i always like coming over to ames and writing features i'll have one on will mcdonald this week and uh max olson my colleague uh, who lives in lincoln and he kind of arm wrestles me and always wins to get to ames more often than i do i always say hey you want me to go over there and max like nah, i'll do it so he's got one on hunter deckers coming out this week too so we've got some cyclone related stories to go along with our usual hawkeye Max just wants an excuse to get out of Lincoln and not have to cover the Huskers. That's probably what it is. Uh, yeah, he's going to Austin this week because I was like, man, you got to come to Iowa City. You know, he's been to Ames the last couple of times they played there. But uh, no, he's he's going to be in Austin for that Texas-Alabama game. All right. Well, I look forward to seeing you next Saturday, man, and uh, and we'll talk to you again soon. All right. Sounds good, guys. Thanks for having me on.